Hello, and welcome to the Healthcare Law Today podcast presented by Foley and Lardner. Each month, we'll bring on a different thought leader to discuss current legal trends in the healthcare industry. I'm your host, Judy Waltz, partner and chair of Foley's healthcare industry team. It's a pleasure to have you joining us today. Before we begin our show, I want to remind you to subscribe to the Healthcare Law Today, either on iTunes or on your preferred podcast app. Please visit our website at healthcarelawtoday.com. For today's show, I'd like to introduce my colleague, Emily Wine, who will discuss how telemedicine programs are bringing the industry back to patient-centered care. Take it away, Emily. Thanks, Judy, for that introduction. Um, As Judy mentioned, my name is Emily Wine. I am a member of the Foley and Lardner's Telemedicine and Digital Health Practice Group. I've been a healthcare regulatory attorney for 15 plus years, but focusing on telehealth in the last five or six. And lucky to be a member of our team who does more work in this area than any other law firm in the country. Um, For today's podcast, we're going to focus on innovation within telemedicine, the future of healthcare, but also talk about the patient-centric nature of what telehealth and telemedicine can bring to healthcare. So with, with me today is Rebecca Canino, Administrative Director at Johns Hopkins Health Systems Office of Telemedicine. In addition to just being lucky to be with a friend who I have hung out with at a multitude of telehealth gatherings, conferences across the country and here in Maryland, Rebecca is a pioneer in this industry. She has been with Hopkins since 2007, quite a long time. And her background includes a long history of international nonprofit startups. And when she returned stateside, which I just personally learned, uh, the innovation, her collaboration, creativity, and compassion for patients continued on here at Hopkins. And this, in this role that she is in now fits her personal mission perfectly because she's passionate about reaching as many people as possible with the clinical excellence and the certain game-changing, I think it's fair to say, of Hopkins physicians. She believes that telehealth, telemedicine is the optimal platform, and we'll talk a lot about that today, for the shared mission of improving healthcare in the community and, of course, across the world. So, Rebecca, thank you so much. I love that we had this opportunity to hang out together and talk about some important stuff. Thanks, Emily. I'm so happy to be here. So I'm happy to have you here today and hear what Hopkins particularly is up to. Um, I am a Baltimore native, so it's always a very huge interest to me. And having my worlds overlap Baltimore healthcare pioneers and telehealth is pretty cool as well. And you and I, as members of the telemedicine industry and at the multitude of meetings we've been at together, we're continuing to hear and to read more about telehealth and how people are truly regarding it as a no-brainer. It is the future of of healthcare. And here, as a leader of telehealth and telemedicine at Hopkins, and I have to say, everybody, I'm sitting here in this pretty awesome suite. It just emanates telemedicine and and innovation as soon as you walk in. So this is a pretty good setting. Um, Hopkins is one of the oldest and, of course, most highly regarded hospitals in the country, if not the world. So tell us a little bit to start, you know, what is Hopkins up to in this very important area? And how is Hopkins utilizing telehealth to continue to spread the good works that it's been doing for for decades? Well, it's really a privilege to be here, uh, here at Hopkins and to be doing this great work. Uh, When you look at Hopkins and its long history, like you said, here in Baltimore in the world, uh, as Emily and I were walking over to the suite here, we actually uh, were privileged to help a gentleman find his way. (laughs) 
across the hospital. And he was sharing with us that he was actually born in this hospital. He was pointing out the buildings. And then he said, oh, and I worked here at Johns Hopkins. And he very proudly shared about his department. And then here he is receiving care in the latter part of his life. And this responsibility did not only care for our community, right? These are people that we see every day, but to impact the care around the world is something that we take quite seriously. And telemedicine is really just a vehicle to foster greater connections to our community, to our patients, and to the world. And so we look at it as a way to reach out. We want to increase our patients' access to care. We want to lower that cost of care, and we want to reach more patients. So telemedicine is just the just the car that we drive to get there, right? And so when we look at who we want to reach first, because there's this awesome responsibility and this wide array of people, we really want to reach out to our most vulnerable, right? So we're looking at our pediatric patients, our geriatric patients, our behavioral health patients, right? Where the need is the greatest. Mm -hmm. And so when you have this need and you have a vehicle of telemedicine that can lower the cost and actually get more care to more people, it's just an amazing privilege and honor to be in the space and in the field. And that certainly resonates with the themes and almost the story people are telling about telemedicine. It's not just the newest, coolest, you know, version 2.0 or whatever point over at this time to to treat your patients. It really is an efficient and um, and effective way. And so with Hopkins, you know, you and I were talking about a little bit before um, preparing for this podcast and how you view telemedicine, not just bringing the latest and greatest and efficiency, but really trying to emphasize the focus on the patient and patient-centric care. And I mentioned to you as a side note, so Hopkins being a Baltimore native, I obviously have been very well aware of its capabilities. And when I, my son, three years old at the time needed a, not a huge, but a significant surgery, we came, we were, we came here and, you know, with the magnitude of Hopkins, I was just purely focused on the technical aspect of it. But I have to tell you when I left there, it was a successful procedure, but I was overwhelmed by the personal, he could have been the only person in the unit. Um, I was overwhelmed by the care, the attention to it. And then when you talk when we were talking about wanting to bring that to telehealth, it's interesting to me because they won't be in the unit in person or maybe in some ways they will be. But can you talk a little bit about how you're using telemedicine to continue Hopkins' very successful ability to provide good patient satisfactory in-person care? Mm-hmm. But, you know, we are in a virtual virtual setting. Some people think that's not is not an easy uh, task mm-hmm. to take. We love to hear that when patients leave, they felt cared for and seen and loved, right? And and just that that it's not only the clinical care, but it's the focus on the person and their family. So this is a way uh, that we can take that in-person care and bring that level into the home. So now we're coming to you. You came to us, we took care of you, but now we can come to you and take care of you in the home. And you're going to have that same nurse who looks at you and asks how you're doing and is focused on your child's care. You're going to have that same person focused on your care. That physician is there for you. Um, There is an intimacy um, in screens and there is a comfort. We're finding people that are, that, that we're finding that people are so comfortable connecting with one another through screens, right? We're out there, we're dating through screens. We're doing our job interviews through screens. Um, that there's really this barrier isn't there 
that, that we can have that level of personal care. And indeed, even more personal, we're coming back to the bedside and not to the hospital bedside, but to your home bedside. This is a doctor's visit at home. And so we can do this in the ambulatory setting for your doctor's visits, for your follow-ups. We can do it for sick visits, uh, the child that wakes up with the earache, and now you no longer have to take off work and come in, but you can actually get that care right there and decide, should we go to school? Should we go to work? Or do we need to come in? Or should we just go to the pharmacy and pick up that med that my physician has prescribed to me? Right. So it's, it's almost become more personal, which is so interesting in this age of technology. We're just removing the barriers of time and travel and it's more immediate and it's actually more personal in some ways. I really want to be very clear that there is a place for in-person that is never going away. Um, we need that touch. We need that assessment that touch brings we are not looking to eliminate that. We're looking to add to that so that you can have access to that because we've given you access to the technology as well. So it goes hand in hand. So we're looking to maintain that one-on-one -on -one personal care, be it via technology or in person. You know, I don't know if you were at this particular conference where I was, but this really interesting anecdote, exactly what you're talking about, um, which illustrates exactly what you're speaking about. It was a uh, pediatric uh, mental health, I believe, consultation. Mm -hmm. And the feedback from the pediatric patient was it, it was either from, from the primary care physician or the parent speaking how it, and asking the patient, how did that go? How did that go? And, and are you comfortable sharing your information and your story with the counselor? And he said, it's too close. It's of um, I felt like she was right in the room in, in a good way. The, uh, the range of care and, and the treatment plan went off as planned, but he felt that the proximity and the screened interaction was actually even more intimate than the in-person setting, which I thought was extremely, extremely interesting. Yeah, it's fascinating. JP Morgan predicts that 78% of behavioral health can move into the virtual space. And when you look at that, you look at the shortage of behavioral health specialists and the rising need in our communities and around the nation for behavioral health services, this is just a perfect vehicle. Uh, we're hearing from adolescents that the screen is actually comforting. It puts, mm. it, they're, they're much more comfortable sharing to the person across the screen versus in the room. So you still have that level of intimacy, but you have that safety where teenagers are really opening up. And so the more we can get this out there and make it available, the more we can equip our physicians with this technology, then the better for our whole population. It is interesting, um, you know, concept of the adolescents because their processing of either stereotypes or comfort level is very unique and uh, mental health uh, focus to the extent they can reach adolescents at that stage in their life right? That That's a game changer. It's huge. And it's so interesting because while the millennial population is rising, right? And they want care in a different way. They don't have PCPs, right? They want care on demand. They want to reach out to other people who've received care this way and have influencers tell them how to do this. But these same millennials who want care in this manner, they're in medical school. <laughs> they're the doctors of tomorrow, right? So it feels very natural to our physicians coming up through the university to integrate this technology, just as natural to the patient as this is how I want my care, right? So you have this rise on both sides. That's just a fascinating space to be in. 
And we've talked, I've heard um, various thoughts that telemedicine education should be part of medical mm -hmm. school. But interesting that you bring that up as far as that's what they're living. To the extent they're actually living it and the use of technology, it's almost a real life education while they're going through medical school as well. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. So we sponsor a um, health informatics technology group uh, at the university and it's run mm. by first and second year med students. And they're just on fire. They are on fire. Um, so HIT is what they're called. And they're constantly, well, why can't we bring in this? Why can't we bring in this? They come to us with ideas and fully formed business plans. We want to use robots for our pediatric patients. We want to reach, you know, and look at this technology and look at this because it all is so accessible, right? It's so right there. You can touch it that why aren't we doing this, right? And so I think that's part of the challenge of starting a telemedicine program because mm -hmm. you have clinicians going, I could use this and I can reach my patients, right? The straight line to my patients is this technology. Why can't I use it? And we're in the space where we're saying, okay, so the legislation isn't there or the <laughs> payers aren't there. How do we move culture at the national setting, right? And, and the legislation to fit the need that the patients have and the desire of the clinicians to meet the patients. And I think that's that's one of our challenges that we work through every day is keeping the innovation alive on the provider side while we're working with our government affairs mm -hmm. folks to change legislation at the state level and at the national level and working with our legal teams, <laughs> thank God for you, uh, really to look at what can we do safely here, right? Because the need is there. So you have this huge gaping need we need services and you have providers saying we want to provide services and how to get them across that bridge while following regulations, compliance, right? It's, it's, it's a challenge that we're up for, but it's something that you have to divide your time and keep both sides healthy and both sides moving forward to really get to the patient. Well, you summed that up very, very well. And I think that some folks like you in a department like this um, are uniquely positioned to lead that and to illustrate the steps to um, forming a very successful uh, telemedicine program. And you mentioned the the uh, students now. And I actually think that maybe you should think about that as your next ground for recruiting for your department <laughs> at some point. Well, yeah, we're, we're growing our own <laughs> clinical champions. Yeah, that's a wonderful it. thing. That's exactly what that's exactly right. Um, Back to the patient-centered care, because I don't want to, I want to make sure that we highlight a little bit about oh. that. I know there's not enough time to highlight all of the success stories, but if you had to pick, I don't know, two or two or so of your favorite, favorite stories, could you share them with us? Because I feel like that really is what resonates with the entire industry or just individuals interested in how to grow a successful program like this and yeah. why we would want, even want to start yeah, absolutely. And it really, it just ties in everything we're talking about, right? Because this is, it's all about the patient. So one of my favorite stories is about Dr. Nicholas Maragakis and Mr. Parker. Uh, we have a video out there on the internet. If you're interested, you can look us up. But uh, Dr. Maragakis was looking for ways to reach his patients. And ALS is such a fast moving disease and symptoms um, that you have today, you woke up with, you didn't have them yesterday. And having access to your physician to come up with some real-time answers, right? How to deal with these new symptoms is paramount. And typically you have to pack up, the ALS patient has to pack up, you got to get your wheelchair, your ventilator in a specialized van. People are taking day, you know, the day off work. They're coming in, they're getting set up all to meet with the doctor to describe something that's happening at home 
right? And so uh, Dr. Maragakis wanted to use this technology and actually port into the home and see the patient where they are. So now uh, with Mr. Parker, Mr. Parker can actually show I'm having difficulty getting from here to here. Dr. Maragakis says, show me. And Dr. Par- and Mr. Parker walks from <laughs> here to here and, and we can see the issue and treat the issue and say, let's um, change this or let's up this level of oxygen or let's use this tool to help us solve this particular problem, right? There's more layers to this because it's amazing because the caregiver can be on that same video call, right? And have this wraparound care. The daughter who's at college across the state can be on that call. The spouse who is at work can be on that video call, right? And be part of that care and describe the challenges and be part of the solution and all be on the same page and have that support. Oh, it's just amazing. And when you look at that work and those visits that Dr. Maragakis did, and then sharing that, right? Not a huge body of work, but a groundbreaking body of work. And then that resulted in a grant so that we could reach more patients because those services are only covered for patients with commercial insurance, right? And here in Baltimore, half of our patients are Medicare and Medicaid, and those services aren't covered at home. And so to have a grant where we could reach those patients and increase those services and meet the need where those patients are, it's just a win-win, right? You're just, you just want to share the good work that you're doing. So all the telemedicine programs out there, share what you're doing because a lot of what you're doing, you're doing for free, right? You're doing because you want to reach your patients and we need to show our lawmakers our payer decision makers, that these services are needed and we need to show the patient impact. So that's one of my favorite stories. I love that. I have more. I love that. I, have I bet more. you do. <laughs> so Dr. Deidre Johnston, yeah, she, her specialty is uh, behavioral health with patients with dementia. Mm. And so here are patients that it is hard for them to leave the home. It's hard for them to leave their familiar settings. By the time they've gotten here, the confusion and the stress when the physician sees them, they're not at their baseline, right? They're not seeing them at the best of their capabilities, right? And so if we can reach them at home, we can see them in their comfortable setting. We can see the challenges they're having there and address those specific challenges. So what Dr. Johnson has set up is that a coordinator actually goes to the home with an iPad, is assessing the home, is assessing the caregiver. What kind of support does that caregiver need? right? Because if the caregiver goes down, now you have two patients, right? And so being able to support not only the patient, but the caregiver is paramount, right? To this person's life, to their quality of life, to both of their quality of life. It's almost as if you're actually able to help implement those discharge instructions when you're taking, either it's ambulatory or inpatient, you're given given instructions and you're expected to implement them on your own. Whereas in the home, and, and, and you're like, well, I didn't have that exact thing. Can I use this? Or I know you said this, but does this mean once a day or once every meal, right? And, and these are things that we can all relate to. You leave the doctor's office and you're like, I got this. And then the next day you're like, I don't got this, right? And so to be able to have that touch point and to get that clarification outside of the doctor's office is amazing. And so what this coordinator does is not only answer those questions, but fires up a visit with the psychiatrist on the iPad for the patient and the patient in the comfort of their own home now has that visit with that psychiatrist. There is such 
a lack of resources for these patients, right? And such a rising patient population that if you can enable that 15 minute, that 20 minute, that 30 minute, however long the patient needs visit with that provider, you've saved time on both sides and that provider can now reach more patients, right? It's because we've gotten right to the heart of the matter, right? What's the issue? How can I help? Here's what we're going to do, right? And it's just an amazingly, not only efficient, but so caring way to really wrap that patient in services. Heart of the matter. I think you have your new coin phrase. Heart of the matter. You're, right. It's uh, seeing them in their own home. It takes all those variables out. You can focus right on the problem in and of itself. And your strife and your goal and your focus on patient-centered care. And that I think you've figured out your new coin phrase for your department. I love it. <laughs> We're going to trademark that. <laughs> <laughs> so clearly you have the ability and um, the knowledge on how to create a successful program. You also just have the background and the perception as to what the other challenges, the other other moving parts that need to have attention and to be coddled a bit. Uh, You talked about compliance, you talked about legal legal issues, legal shortcomings or legal uh, barriers, if we could say that. If you were Rebecca several, several years ago when you started this, what little tidbits would you have liked to been told or knowledge have? Um, You know, again, I say people look to Hopkins as the leader in all respects with respect to, to healthcare and are very interested in how if your department had challenges, then of course, any other institution, whether shape or size location is going to have similar. What are the two two or three top pieces of information or suggestions you would like to convey on your younger self or to someone in your position trying to get something started? I would say be brave, <laughs> be brave. Um, the, the task is monumental, right? So you want to think big, right? For big solutions. But while you're thinking big, you want to start small. Mm-hmm. So, so think, think what, what could revolutionize it? What, what is the real need here? How do we get to it? And then start small with engaged clinical champions. So once you've, once you've pinpointed uh, where you want to be in the huge picture of it all, really having those champions by your side, because the clinicians, right, they're the soul of this, right? They're the hands, they're the brain, they're the ones actually providing the care. The technology is such a small piece of this, maybe 10% at best. The other 90% is getting the clinical care to the patient, right? And that's just operations and workflow and trying things and failing and trying again and failing and just making that iterative process quick, right? Don't spend too much time on things that have failed. Move forward, try again. And really, that's where your clinical champions are going to be, carrying that and carrying the ball because you want to get there. We see the patient need. We have the expertise to meet it. We just want the best way to get there, right? The smoothest way, the easiest way, the most effective way. So I think that's number one. Think big, start small. Number two, partner with your government affairs team, partner with your lawyers, right? Because no use case is the same. So when you look at the population and the needs, your programs are going to have to be crafted very specifically 
to those populations, right? And so, especially at Hopkins here, where we'll have the world's leading expert and there's nobody else in the country or there's three other people in the country and everyone needs those services, right? You're talking about practicing medicine across state lines. You're talking about all different uh, payer models, right? And so when you really look at those programs and have to focus like on ALS or behavioral health or pediatrics or rare and expensive medical conditions or, you know, genetics, like these huge areas of need, uh, your programs have to be tailored pretty specifically. And you're going to need those partners. You're going to need those partners up on the hill. You're going to need those partners, you know, on the phone to be like, can this role is it within their scope of practice? Uh, what are the exceptions to licensure? What is the best vehicle to reach as many people as possible? And then what does that population, what are the limitations of that population? Do they have the bandwidth they need? Do they have the device they need? Do they have the technical knowledge, right? What do we need to eliminate to get care to them? Do we need to design something that's just voice? Do we need to get the device out of there and go with an electronic assistant? Do we need to have a wearable? Uh, do we just need to do it through your phone, right? All those questions are very specific to the population. But if you don't have your team of experts with your government affairs folks, with your legal team, with your compliance folks, with your payer you can't do it on your own. It can't just be you and the clinician and your IT team, right? You need this whole team of people backing you up. So I'd say that's number two. That's really, really important. So while you're being brave, have your team, have your focus, <laughs> and you can change the world. It's nice to be a lawyer that helps and yes. helps facilitate oh, uh, instead of being a barrier perceived. So that is a nice aspect to yeah. working in this area. We I personally feel that we are able to help facilitate instead of saying no. It's it's such you don't even know. It's such a comfort, especially because things are changing so quickly. Florida just put out their new their new ruling that we can take care of patients, right? If we register with them, we don't need licensure in Florida. How huge is that for our geriatric population? Huge. It is it is such a leap forward. We really urge other states uh, to move in this direction because folks are flying across the country and across the world for care here at Hopkins. And if we can't follow up with that care at home, they lost that benefit, right? And so really being able to reach our patients hinges so much on legislation. And and without the help of our beautiful lawyers, uh, I think we'd reach much fewer patients. And we're really, we, we want to expand that reach. That's great. No, fair point. I was thinking, uh, we were talking about patient-centered care and how you're, how you're successful that, that way. Have you ever thought of, or maybe you've already utilize this aspect, having a patient be one of your champions. And I bet you have a have a good pool of potentials to choose from, from having them come in and share their stories. Um, I bet you'd have a really easy, easy time convincing somebody and it would be a great way to illustrate. Yeah. All around illustrate. Hopkins, we have um, patient family advisory boards and they are very active. In, in looking at how we provide care and making sure that it's patient friendly. And so uh, our programs pass through uh, these various boards, depending on the entities sponsoring it. Also, the wonderful thing is our employees are our patients. Actually, we are our own patients, right? The Office of Telemedicine, we all receive care here at Hopkins. And so it's fascinating to be the provider of care and the recipient of care and really saying, oh, here's a barrier. And having the privilege to be able to overcome that barrier, mm -hmm. right? Because because we get to craft our programs. Mm -hmm. It's really exciting. But yes, patients, 
telemedicine is not only patient-centered, but it's patient-driven. And so patients are telling us how they want to receive our Mm. care. And it's our honor and privilege to build systems that get the care to them in the way that they want it. And that's, that's the goal. That's the goal. So I think, so to close out in the final, final thoughts, um, I thought I'd ask you being a trailblazer, of course, uh, in this wonderful institution and your programs three to five years from now, Mm. where do you see telehealth? Where do you, where do you see it? And, or where do you hope to see it? Well, we definitely see it expanding. (laughs) We see it exploding. Um, it's, it's just so exciting. So when you look at telemedicine, it's not only utilizing the technologies we have at our fingertips now, right? It's a lot of future casting and looking forward and saying, what are we going to use or what are people going to need in this future, right? In this uncertain future, especially moving from fee-for-service to value-based care, right? So you, you've got this massive shift at the national level, and then you've got this shift in technology. Things are becoming cheaper, right? They're becoming more accessible. We're, we're telling our lights to turn on. We're not flicking a switch. You know, we say it and it is so, right? Star Trek come to life. And so uh, really that dream is coming through in medicine as well. And as we move forward into the future three to five years, I don't know that we'll be talking about telemedicine. We'll be talking about medicine, right? These will just be the new tools to provide care. And so we're just committed to enabling our physicians, both clinical and research, to reach as many people as possible in the most meaningful way possible. I love that. And I think that's a great uh, place for us to end. And I really do hope that in the future, I continue to see what Hopkins is doing and what you personally are doing. This is, this has been a true pleasure and super fun. We could talk for hours. We really could. (laughs) We'll just stay tuned for next time. Excellent. Uh, Thank you, Rebecca, very, very much. I appreciate it. And I hope you all listening enjoyed it. I know that I did. Thank you, Emily. It's been a privilege. Thank you, Emily, and thank you to Rebecca Canino for a great show. Rebecca is truly a trailblazer in telemedicine, and it is so amazing to hear the positive impact that the program at Johns Hopkins has had on patient care. We appreciate you taking the time to join us today. We want to thank everyone for listening to the Healthcare Law Today podcast, your connection to timely legal updates in the healthcare industry. Healthcare Law Today is a monthly program. And we encourage you to subscribe to this podcast or to Foley's Healthcare Law Today blog at healthcarelawtoday.com. If you like this show, don't forget to subscribe and be sure to rate us five stars. Until next time on the Healthcare Law Today podcast, I'm Judy Waltz at Foley and Lardner. Thank you for joining us.